Hiya everybody. Well, we've shown that again because this is the final part of um, a, a series that we were doing on the heroic journey. And uh, for those who haven't been part of this, I'm sorry, but you can maybe pick up online. But just to give you a little bit, bit of background, whether we like it or not, we are called to make a heroic journey. And um, often on that journey that we think is from birth to death, there's often stuff that goes on in the, in the middle of it and that we think that is really horrendous and terrible. But what actually it is, is a call to something very special. It's actually to travel inwards to what is the real you and how we make that journey uh, in the context of uh, back to our home place, but with something greater and more wonderful to pass on to somebody else. So... Um, Last week, we talked about the crisis of limitations. Whether we like it or not, there's something that's going to happen that somehow tells you that life isn't what you expected it to be. You weren't all that you thought you were. Everybody else isn't what you thought they were, etc., etc. And you have to come out of that somehow in a fixed state to go the rest of your life, or otherwise it's curtains, right? So Anthony was talking about the crisis of limitations. Now tonight we're going to talk about that those experiences will either make you better or they will make you bitter. Now it was up there a minute ago, oh that's great, if pain doesn't lead us to humility, you have wasted your suffering. Now we're going to talk about humility in a little while, but what I want to say first is that the truth is that these issues will either make us humble or they will embitter us. Now, take it from me, and I am one myself, so I'm not saying you were this and I'm not. I know what it's like to be embittered by experiences. Now, come on, let's be honest in this place tonight. How many of us have been embittered by experiences? Now, yes, we have found that there are things that have humbled us and we thought, do you know what? This is a terrible experience, but heck, I'm glad it happened because it's led me to something good. But come on, be honest. The majority of these experiences are not like that. We become embittered. And the problem is we will never get to that place of resurrection if we stay embittered. And we're going to talk about that tonight. And honestly, some people say, what a, what a sort of morose, what a negative thing we're talking about. No, it's absolutely amazing. How do we respond correctly to the things that happen to us and actually become uh, humbled? And we're going to talk about what humbled means rather than embittered and face possibility of resurrection to something new. Remember what it said in that clip there, that the hero returns home, but not like he was in the beginning. Something's happened that's transformed his life. Now, I believe that here at Q, our main, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, purpose is to uh, bring you to a place of transformation. I can't change what happens to you in your life. I wish I could. I wish I could say, come to Jesus and everything would be all right. I can promise you it's not true. But what I can say, that if we're willing to put into place some honest, 
analysis of our lives and the situation, we will actually become humbled and we will become able to face a resurrection experience which will do us good. So the first thing we're going to do is sing a song about being honest because I'll tell you what, honesty is where it starts and in a little while we're going to do some clips as we always do and um, last week we showed you where Toy Story, um, you know, Buzz realises he's not the person who he thought he was. How shocking. But you know, because he's honest with himself, he actually gets to the place where he realises that what he really is, is better than the, uh, the what's the word I'm talking, uh, come on, help me. Pride makes, uh, is there it up there? There's a, there's a thing about honesty, is it, uh, no, about pride. Pride leads to being artificial, but humility leads to us being real. That might come up later. But you see, that's the issue here. I want to be real. And that might mean that I don't meet everybody's expectations. It might mean that people don't like what they see of me, but I want to be real. What I certainly don't want is to be artificial in this world. How do you feel about that? Now, sometimes it's, oh, that's not very good news because it's all going to be pain and it's all going to be this. I don't know. We'll face it tonight, shall we, as we go through this. So we're going to sing about some honesty. So let's do it and move on. Okay, look at that. Humility, an accurate assessment of oneself. I bet to some of you that's a little bit weird because you've always thought of humility being a particular very lowly, very... I always think of the guy in uh, uh, Christmas Carol, you know, ever so humble. But really he wasn't humble at all. He was a miserly, quite uh, bitter person. But we associate humility with certain things. Now, in my uh, reading and understanding... I have found this to be a more accurate understanding of humility. Do you know, if you assess yourself accurately, then you are humble. But most of us don't. We either underassess, which is a type of pride, because under-assessing uh, ourselves is a, is, is a pride thing. But then, of course, if we go the other way, there is a pride of arrogance, so accuracy is so important. I mean, I, I find it amazing that, you know, even in the clips we showed of, uh, the, of Toy Story and Buzz. See, it was an insult right at the beginning when Woody says, you're not flying, you're just falling with style. Because his assessment of himself was that he was a space ranger, it was an insult to tell him the truth. But when you see it at the end, once he's had a revelation of the true uh, part that he plays in life, and he says, Woody says to him, but you're flying. He says, I'm not. I'm falling with style. You know, hello, what's just happened? It's because suddenly the truth about himself has become incredibly uh, powerful. Now, what have we learned? That whether we like it or not, there are things in our lives, like I said uh, in the beginning, that we have to make, uh, in situations, we get a very distorted understanding. So we experience things that distort our view 
whether it be of ourselves, of the world, of people. And if we don't sort that out very, very quickly, it actually embitters us. Now, whether we like it or not, it's easy to talk about cartoon characters, but nobody in this room wants to be told that you are not what you think you are. Now, come on, let's just be honest. If we're going to be honest church, cute church, let's be honest. Nobody wants to be told you're not what you think you are because we have built up an understanding of ourselves. Very much in psychology, it's called the idealized self. It's that which we see that people will love, that people will accept, that people will want to be in. So we say, I must be this. I must make myself be that. But the truth is, that's not always who we are. And it actually creates many problems because we have to live up to this expectation uh, that we have fixed for ourselves. Now, like I was saying there, there is a wonderful thing about humility because an accurate self-assessment allows us to live in a very safe world. I know this sounds silly. I'm going to give you a little bit of a, a personal story, if that's okay. And I've said this to, to Joel before. I have one accurate assessment of myself. There's may, maybe lots that I don't, but I have one. And it's when it comes to singing. So I'll say, I know I can sing in the sense that I can hold a tune. I know that I'm quite pitch perfect in the sense that I can hear the notes in my head and I know what they are. Um, but I know that I prefer to sing with a team. I don't want to sing alone, but I will if I have to. But the accurate assessment is that this is how I rate my being, right? Is, is that fair enough? Now, somebody else might say to me, actually, you're better than you think you are. That's very nice. Thank you. And I'll take that compliment. Somebody over here might say, actually, you're not as good as you think you are. And I'll say, that's fine as well, because I'm not bothered. Because in the middle, I say, I'll sing, I'll join the team, and I'll do my best, because that's the truth about my situation. Now, you might think, crazy Chris, what are you on about? Where the safety is there is that I can't be hurt. <laughs> do you get me? I can't be hurt, because I'm not building myself up too high, or I'm not putting myself down too low. Now, I know that seems a very silly, silly illustration, but I'm trying to help you guys tonight. Often when we've hit that crisis of limitation, what happens is we get a distorted view of things. And really the, the thing we've got to stop and take stock of is what is the accurate assessment. And often we can't do that by ourselves. We need to do that in community. We need to talk to others. We need to find out where maybe we're a bit skew with on our understanding. But I'll tell you what, we will never get to this place of resurrection that we're talking about unless we first make that accurate assessment. Now, is there anything else I wanted to say before moving on? Uh, I think we're done. Uh, we will always be humbled by our humiliations. Now, that's a powerful statement. And most of us, oh, come on, be honest. When we're humiliated, what's the first thing we do? We go down on ourselves and we then start to wonder why is it that we're feeling 
what we're feeling rather than saying, what can this teach me that allows me to have an accurate assessment and actually move forward to my resurrection? Now, the next couple of clips are quite interesting because uh, uh, Beth brought this and it's about Victoria and Abdul and it's when Queen Victoria is talking about herself and I found it absolutely wonderful and please don't let anybody in here talk themselves down let's talk accurately about ourselves and say okay these are my weaknesses these are my strengths and within that there's an accurate assessment because what that will take us to is to a, a, a non-bitter journey rather than embittered one which we'll talk about that in a little minute okay moving on i'm on green oh. thank you that was really encouraging thanks very much are you willing to say this is me See, I was brought up that I had to crush who I was because there was something horrible about me. It was wrong. There was, you know, I was never enough. And now I'm realising that, like we sang at the beginning, that even my darkness is light uh, to God and he's working through all of it and he just wants me to be the best, best version of myself. So thanks for the encouragement with that. Now... Where do we want to go now? See, Jesus had a crisis of limitations in the desert. And he, whatever it was, whether it was the devil he faced, that's questionable, or whether it was just the inner workings of his own heart, he had to face it. And um, he had to come, what was the, to the, the truth of, of who he was and the truth about himself? Now, if you think about it, 40 days of relentless uh, pressure on his life. Um, but it says at the end of this story that he returned home in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now that sounds a bit jargonized and I don't know whether we're into that language anymore. But the truth is, something that he'd found in that place had empowered him to go back just like the hero in this story, and said, you know what, I'm empowered here. I'm going to be who I need to be for the next part of the journey. Now, there's another little uh, verse there that also talks about the fact that angels came to minister to him. Remember, he hadn't eaten for 40 days. He'd been through this horrendous ordeal, and it says that angels came to minister to him. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know whether they were real with wings or whatever. But here's the point. Something of an amazing transformation took place that he was able to get up and go back home as a different being. Now, you might say, well, he was God for crying out loud. Why did he need that? No, he was man. And that's why it's so incredible that in Jesus, we have the infinite and the finite mixed together which gives us an incredible hope about what we ourselves can be when we tap into that. Now here's the thing I want to say and it'll help you in the context of, of this. Um, 
he was transformed and he went to the temple and he read a scripture and the scripture he read was from Isaiah and it really doesn't matter particularly what it was although we could have taken the time to do it but I don't think that's the issue it's this he talked about uh, he read a scripture that says the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's anointed me to do all sorts of wonderful things he's going to bind the brokenhearted, is going to minister to the, the, the broken and the poor, etc., etc., et and he's going to bring a, a message of hope that was a favor of God. And in Isaiah, it says, and not of vengeance, or it, it, sorry, I should say, it says in Isaiah that it's the day of vengeance of the Lord, but he didn't mention that in Luke. He shut the book when he came and declare uh, the Lord's favour, right? Sorry, I'm, I'm getting a bit, oh, tongue-tied. So here's the point, the bit about vengeance, he missed off altogether. Brought this incredible news after his crisis of limitation and understanding who he was. Now, this is what I want to bring you to tonight. Now, I was not aware of this, but did you know, you will know about this, there is PSTD, post traumatic stress disorder. We all know what that is. And that is usually because a person in their lives has experienced something particularly traumatic. Now, here's the thing I want to tell you about that you may not know about. Do you know that a quarter of the population suffer from post-traumatic E, embitterment syndrome? A quarter Whoa, I didn't know that at all. And guess what? It's not because something horrendously traumatic like being in a war or, or a horrendous, uh, they were kidnapped or they were raped or, you know, something of that really extreme situation. What embitterment comes from is everyday occurrences that are common to us all. I ne it nearly blew my mind. It's actually a condition that's recognised by psychologists. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, listen, the difference between post-traumatic stress disorder is that what the results are is you're usually very anxious and you're afraid because of the circumstance. It actually triggers fear and anxiety. But you know what's triggered in this issue of post-traumatic embitterment syndrome. It's the desire for revenge. Blow me away. Revenge, the desire. There's a quarter of the population desiring revenge because of everyday situations that are common to us all that causes us to be embittered. Wow. Think about it. Jesus shut the book at the day of what? Vengeance. After his experience, his crisis in the desert, he said, I'm not embittered. I don't want revenge. And I'm going to prove to you that that's not what God wants either. Now that absolutely blew me away because at the end of the day, if we can manage to not be embittered, this is what I want to say, and I'll read it from here. Whatever happens in life, we will have the ability to love 
and live out the best version of ourselves instead of becoming bitter. And as I've already said, there can be no resurrection while ever we're embittered. So we're going to talk about it in a little bit, uh, you know, in a little more time about how do we manage that? Because honestly, let's be, you know, let's just be honest. We want to be real in this place. We don't want to be artificial. There's so much that happens to us that can embitter us and then we'll seek revenge. But this is the day of the Lord's favour. How do we live in favour towards one another rather than the desire for revenge? That's quite powerful, isn't it? So I'll leave it there and uh, we'll pick up in a few minutes. All right, first of all, huge thank you to all those who've contributed tonight. Your contributions have been great, thank you. Uh, also, one, just one change this week. Um, we have cancelled the Wednesday night for various reasons, and truth is, several of the people who serve us so amazingly and never ask for anything in return are also deep lovers of football, and I would feel so guilty uh, because I know they're the ones who would come and pay the price. So apart from the dance practicing in here, Wednesday is cancelled and I'm sorry if that upsets anybody but we're trying to bless one or two others. Um, the, many of you will not be familiar with this last clip, it's from the movie Cast Away with Tom Hanks. And I don't know if you agree with me but um, we come to crossroads in our lives on many occasions. Life is not just a, a straight road without options that is predetermined and just kind of figures itself out. And the problem with crossroads is that crossroads involve choices and choices determine destinations and destinations determine what the journey comprises of. And um, in, in this clip, for those who are not familiar, Tom Hanks plays um, a FedEx manager who has to deliver a package to Malaysia on Christmas Eve, and the plane goes down. That's a crisis of limitation. There is a crash. The plane goes down. He survives the crash. Some, some of the issues that some of you need to grasp is that if the crisis of limitation that we hit in our life killed us, in some ways that would almost be a blessing because you don't have to deal with the fallout. Most of the time, the crashes in our lives don't kill us. And we are like Tom Hanks in the movie. We are left stranded on a desert island having to figure out how am I going to survive? What am I going to do? Who will rescue me? I'd like to say that the Christian gospel is where that answer comes in, who will rescue me? That's why, for me, God became flesh in Jesus because the whole story of history is about humanity, but within it, there's the who will rescue me? And, and so for five years, he lives on this desert island until finally he is rescued. It's a fascinating movie. You really should watch it. And um, his only companion is a, is a basketball that he paints a face on called Wilson. 
And sometimes in our desperation, we do things that just seem so crazy to everybody else. Why does he call him Wilson? Because when you flip the ball over and see who manufactured the ball, it's made by the company Wilson. So he gives the, the ball already has a name and he puts it on a little body and Wilson is his companion. He even takes Wilson with him when he builds the raft to escape the island because Wilson has become his friend. Now, you might think, what's the point of that? We do crazy things in the middle of our understanding of limitation in our life that sometimes just help us go along. Just allow people to be a little crazy. Allow some people just to realize that, that they are facilitating a situation that in it they need hope and they need help. And anyway, the truth is he saves one package from the crash plane. And that one package is determined that he will deliver this package come hell or high water He's going to take that package. Now, what's interesting is on the package, there is a, a picture that has been drawn of two angel wings. Now, what's fascinating is that you wouldn't notice it if you didn't know, but on the back of the truck that he met at the crossroad of life, when the truck drove away with the angel wings, you see... There is, there is a promise in Scripture that I believe in that at the crossroads of life, it says you'll hear a, a voice behind you saying, this is the way walking it. The problem is we are often so taken up with the fluster of life and the noise and the activity that very often we can't hear. But I do believe that that voice is there. So at the crossroads, which way do you go? And what we've tried to teach you, we talked about the heroic journey, which is that upward rise of, 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 of passion and vision and, and fantasy. And, and, and it's a bit of an ego thing, but you're the hero of your own story. But then when reality hits and we realize the limitations on our lives, what we are not, what we might never be, and even more important for most of us, what others are not, and what others will never be is a bigger problem in our life. And a lot of our realization of that is because we won't acknowledge and face what we are not and what we will not be. And so we talked about the fact if you don't make a turn, you go straight on into what is called the fool's journey. You ignore the fact that life is telling you something that has to be observed for you to become wholly whole and so if you don't make the turn, you become a fool. But when you make the turn, you have to accept this journey then is this crisis of limitations. This place that's been so wonderfully talked about tonight by, um, by as Chris has brought that to the place where we understand that where this brings us to and as we look at the truth about ourselves, there is another crossroads and that crossroads is the crossroads that is part of this wisdom journey. Getting a wisdom about life. And the truth is, if we fail to make the turn at that crossroads to be humble, as Chris said, we become bitter. And we go straight on to the embittered journey because that crisis of limitations, what we are not, what others are not, what we can't do, what others can't do, carries on so much in our life that when we go straight on and don't become humbled in the situation, we become embittered. I wanted to read this to you. It's because confrontation occurs but enlightenment is refused. Its wounds have not been allowed to become Sacred. I'll mention that in a moment. It's us still looking for something or someone to blame and we become negative and cynical 
in our bitterness. I have found these three things difficult for me because I realize it makes me look at still my own limitations. It makes me look at where I've not made the turn into humility, where there is still a bitterness because I haven't been or people haven't been or things haven't always been what you want them to be. And so there are wounds. There are, I got wounds. You've got wounds. There are things that are sore that you don't want to be touched. And when they are touched, we react. See, but, but the alternative to going straight onto the embittered journey is to make the turn because we have the beginnings of humility and they mark a downward turn. Not a downward turn in our success, but a downward turn in the sense of coming to more of a sense of reality. It's called humility, where we come down to the proper level. We bring ourselves down to the proper level and people who we've crushed, we allow them to come up to that same level so that we come on the level to realise that we're all in this situation and we need kindness and love and generosity of spirit for each other. If we're ever going to make it, there needs to be a humility and lots of forgiveness. And I believe this is the way to new birth. I believe this is the way that we call wisdom's journey. I stop trying to control what can't be controlled, stop trying to fix what can't be fixed, and come to a place in my own humility where I allow my wounds to become sacred. Now, the reason I talk about that is this, that, that this idea of sacred wounds is that our wounds will either cause us to be bitter or our wounds will cause us to be humble. Now, I want to bring you just for, just for a moment. I know we've gone a little longer tonight, but just for a moment, that in the week of Jesus' crucifixion, he started the encounter with a betrayal, and then in the Garden of Gethsemane, being falsely accused, arrested, taken, tortured, and ultimately crucified. Wounds all over his body. But you see, Jesus faced a choice. Those wounds would either make him bitter in which he would seek to destroy those who had wounded him. And he said on the cross, don't you realize I could call 10,000 angels to destroy all these suckers for the pain they've inflicted upon me. And we can all find ways and means to inflict destruction on the people that we believe have wounded us or the thing we believe has wounded us. But Jesus hangs on the cross and he says, forgive them, Father, they don't really know what they're doing. Now, we could argue and say they knew exactly what they were doing. They were wanting to inflict pain. They were wanting him to die. They were wanting to kill him. But somehow Jesus understood that in all that stuff that was going on in life, people really didn't understand what it was that was happening in the midst of it. And so instead of letting his wounds make him bitter, he let his wounds become sacred. They became the means by which he became different because he embraced them, because he understood these wounds are leading me to a death, but this death is leading me to a resurrection and I will live again. This is not the end this is not a failure this is a doorway to become something more than I have ever become I believe that's what salvation is I believe that's what new birth or rebirth is it's the resurrection when we make the turn of humility and allow the wounds of our own life to become sacred because Christ allowed the wounds in his life to become sacred and if it led him to resurrection then it will also lead me to resurrection so that they actually bring me 
to life. Humility and making wounds sacred is the doorway to life. Jesus allowed his wounds to be sacred, not fatal, and it took him from the place of pain to the realm of resurrection. This story is not a downer, this story is an upper. Because this story is saying this is the answer to life as we suffer it, to bring us to life as we can experience it, which is what Jesus called the kingdom of God within. Something from outside being so inside that now the inside becomes the outside. Make your wounds sacred. So tonight I finish by saying this. We all hit those crossroads. And at those crossroads we have decisions to make which way we will go. And none of us escape it. Which way will I go? When we're upset, offended, wound, when we realise our limitations, when, when all of these things, when we, when we spot, which way will we go? Which way will you go? What, what will you choose as your direction? I'd say follow the angel wings. Somewhere in there, there's the angel wings. Somewhere in there, there's, there's a voice, there's a, there's a sign, there's a, an indication that there is a way that's not the way that just seems right to a person because ours becomes that way of retribution. But there's a way that is God's way that says, if you will embrace these wounds and make them sacred and submit yourself to humility, you will have resurrection, you will have new birth, you will have new life, and your life will never be the same again. So make a choice tonight. Those wounds are the niggly. Now here's the issue, and, and again, I'm, I'm taking this time because it's important. I can never promise you a life without wounds. I cannot say to you that if you come into this new life, this new birth, this resurrection, that your wounds will disappear. But what I can promise you is that you'll have wounds without pain. So Jesus shows himself to his disciples after the resurrection and a guy called Thomas says, I first got to put my finger in the holes where the nail went. I've got to put my hand in your side. I won't believe unless you let me do that. And Jesus said, okay, here we go, Thomas. Now you say, well, was Jesus doing that to prove to Thomas that he was real. Well, if you read the story, Thomas, before that happened, before he touched them, came to the understanding that he was who he said he is. See, I believe the biggest story is that Jesus was saying to Thomas, Thomas, you're hurting. Thomas, you're struggling, you're wounded, your expectations of who you thought I was, your thoughts of who you are, where all this is going, you, you're wounded. But, but I want to show you that when you come this way, you can put your finger in my wounds because I have wounds but no pain. I have wounds but no pain. The ultimate of healing is not being without wounds. The ultimate of the healing of the kingdom of God is when you have wounds but no pain. I can't promise the wounds will go, but I know that the pain will go when we make those wounds sacred because we enter a new life of resurrection. I want you to feel that healing tonight. So I want to pray that you'll be able to receive it as you choose to take this way of humility 
and to make your wounds sacred. Father, thank you for the promise that comes to us even because of the sacrifice of Christ and the sufferings of Christ. I thank you that healing flows to us that can take the pain from those wounds and allow them to become so sacred that in a resurrected, renewed, new life, those wounds become the testimony in our life of the way that we have chosen at the crossroads that always leads to the place of life. Even when suffering might be there, life always comes. So Lord, I pray for every heart, every life, every mind, every spirit, every soul, every emotion. And we bring them under the sacredness of your sacrifice to receive the power of your resurrection in Jesus' name. Amen.